Thank you. <clears throat> we are <clears throat> beginning a new study today. This begins a new quarter. And um, this will be a topical study for this quarter <clears throat> uh, under the broad heading of Developing a Great Family. And um, <clears throat> uh, some of the uh, lessons that we'll be covering, uh, I guess all of the schedules have been have been taken there at the back, so you probably have one in front of you. So if you want to look at that, uh, you can see how all the lessons are laid out beginning today. And um, we'll be covering, uh, you know, what the Bible says about uh, the different roles and responsibilities in our families, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. Uh, we'll talk some about parenting uh, toward the middle of the quarter, being a proactive parent. Uh, a lesson on uh, <clears throat> your family and the internet, uh, which I hope will be a beneficial thing uh, for us as we look at biblical principles that should govern uh, our use of that technology. And um, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll find that not only uh, informative, but I hope uh, beneficial uh, as we consider the dangers uh, that are a part of that uh, that technology. You know, it's a, <clears throat> I'm not going to do that lesson now, but um, you know, the internet's like a lot of things. It's it's in itself, it's morally neutral. Uh, it depends on what you do with it. You know, it can be used for great good, or it can be used for great uh, harm, and we need to be aware of. Uh, potential dangers there. We'll talk about discipline and communication and uh, things like that. You can see those on your on your schedule. Well, that's the plan. And today, uh, today's lesson is basically uh, for the purposes of introduction to um, <clears throat> kind of survey, lay a little bit of foundation, and then survey uh, some of the uh, points and principles that we'll be covering. Uh, in the class as the quarter uh, <clears throat> as the quarter moves on. All right. One month before uh, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, he sent a letter to Congress in which he attempted to um, convince them of his position regarding slavery. And he addressed that matter uh, of slavery in the letter. And um, he stressed in it the importance of doing what he considered to be the right thing. Uh, and he used terminology like, um, you know, this, this proclamation was needed to save our country, his words. And in the process of making his case, he described... America as, and these were his words, the last best hope of earth. One of the more interesting phrases that I think Lincoln ever used. The last best hope of earth. It says a lot about what he thought about our country and its influence, the influence that it could have in the world. I'm going to come back to Lincoln's words in just a moment and amend them a little bit. Uh, as it pertains to the subject of our study for this quarter. Let's talk about the family unit for just a moment. 
I suspect that all of us would agree that the family unit, as God has arranged it and described it in Scripture, is under attack today from a lot of different angles, from a lot of different sources. Uh, things that God has stated about how families should be organized, how families should function, uh, a lot of those principles are assailed today by a lot of folks in our culture, in American culture, the world too. For example, there are some uh, on the, the radical side of things who argue that homes really don't need husbands and fathers in them. The, some of the radical feminists in our culture, um, some of them I've heard even argue that homes, not only can homes survive and survive well without a husband or a father in them, they're actually better off if they just don't have men uh, in those homes, just let um, you know. Just let the ladies uh, handle that themselves. They don't need husbands. Uh, children don't need fathers. Well, that's not what God has said. Uh, that's not the ideal. Uh, we'll talk about how some homes are forced into situations uh, where uh, they're having to cope with circumstances that are not the ideal. And um, I know all of us know of single-parent homes uh, that, um, that are doing well in raising their children uh, to live right. But it's also the case that that's not God's ideal. That's not the way God set it up. It's not the way He really wants it to be. Uh, and so we'll talk about that. <coughs> we'll talk about that in some detail later. What about... Um, <clears throat> What about the arrangement of the home that's under attack from uh, those who are uh, pressing for endorsement of same-sex marriage? Big hot topic in our culture today. And um, it's not anymore that, that those who are pushing that agenda, it's not anymore that they just want acceptance. They want endorsement. Uh, they, they don't want you to just you know, turn a blind eye to it and say, All right, you know, whatever, live and let live. No, they want you to come out and be forced to say that it's right and that it's healthy and that it's good. They want endorsement. Well, again, that's not God's plan. It's not the way God laid it out. And so the home's under attack. How about, um, how about uh, some of the people that are that are held up in high esteem in our culture by young people especially, sports figures, professional sports figures. You know, you can, you can find information very easily about a lot of these people that, uh, that make a lot of money playing, you know, basketball, football, whatever it is. And, um, you know, these guys, some of them have fathered multiple children out of wedlock with multiple women. You don't hear much about that 
Um, you know, Adrian Peterson is, is one. You know, he got himself in, in trouble with the way he uh, disciplined one of his kids, and he's still facing issues with that. I'm not, you know, I don't know all the facts about that. I just know he got in trouble about it. Um, but in the process of, of, you know, reading through that story, you come to find out he's got about six kids with about that many different women, none of, wh- none of whom he's married to. Um, and he's not the only one like that. I mean, the sports figures all over the spectrum do that kind of thing, and, and with no stigma attached to it. Well, that's an attack uh, against God's plan and design for the home. <clears throat> you know, we live in a, in a, in a world where uh, divorces are granted uh, for any and every reason uh, against God's plan. Uh, you got people that just, even the, the concept of marriage today is, um, <clears throat> is under attack. People that claim you don't even need it. You know, if you want to live with somebody, just live with them. Uh, you don't have to have a piece of paper. You don't have to have uh, a, a recognized marriage. You know, just live with whoever you want to live with. If it doesn't work out, move out, move in with somebody else. And so the whole concept of marriage is under attack. Now, these are just a few examples that, um, that, that reveal to us or should reveal to us that we're in a war. We're in a battle. Uh, and the Bible, the New Testament, presents Christianity just in general as a battle, as a fight, a war. Uh, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not material. In other words, the church as such does not go out and try to convince people to be obedient to the gospel at gunpoint. Right? We don't, that's not the type of battle that the church is involved in. Uh, so our, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty, he goes on to write. They are powerful, uh, but they're used for the casting down of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so <clears throat> we're in a battle, we're in a war that involves the thought processes of people where we're trying to help them to see and helping ourselves to see that what God has said about the family or anything else God's spoken about, that what He has said is true, it's right, and needs to be accepted and applied. And so <clears throat> that's the nature of our battle. It's a battle over the hearts and minds and thoughts of people. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10:5, to bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. That's our goal. And so with that in mind, <coughs> we're going to, to look at today God's blueprint for the family, just by way of introductory material. Uh, and then we'll fill in with a lot of detail as we go through these lessons individually throughout the quarter. All right? Psalm 127, verse 1 is where I want to begin. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, 
they labor in vain who build it. If the Lord doesn't build the house, those that are building are involved in useless work. And that's the foundation that we want to build on as we talk about these various aspects of family life and how to build a great family. We're basing it on that principle that if, if we're trying to develop a family and we're not going through that process based on the principles that God's outlined in His Word, then we're just wasting our time. We're not building the kind of home uh, that, um, uh, that will stand, that will last, and certainly not one that will be pleasing to God. And so if God's not a part of the process, if God's not guiding the process, then we're wasting our time. Now let me come back to Lincoln's words. When it comes to modeling for the world what the home should look like, then I would argue that the church of the Lord is the last best hope of earth. Lincoln said that about our country. I think when it comes to letting the who's going to let the world see what homes should look like, how they should function, how they should operate, proper relationship between husband and wife, between parents and children. Who's going to show the world the right way if it's not the church? It's not Christians. Okay? So in that sense, we are the last best hope of earth when it comes to showing what families really should look like and how they should function. All right? And so with that in mind, let's begin looking at God's blueprint for the family. We're going to start by laying the foundation of God's trustworthiness. That God really does know and understand what is best for us. This is a point we made, I don't know, a few months ago, we did a series of sermons uh, that we called Getting Back to Basics. We covered some of these principles in that sermon series, and I want to bring our attention back to that this morning. That God is infinite in His wisdom, in His understanding. Psalm 147, verse 5, says basically that. His understanding is infinite. If you'll go back to Psalm 147, <clears throat> And really look at verse 4, beginning, He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Well, it's hard to get more understanding than infinite understanding. Right? God, God's understanding, His wisdom, His knowledge, knows no limit. Paul, in Romans chapter 11, makes a very similar statement. Uh, toward the end of the chapter, Romans 11, Paul has been, really for about three chapters there in Romans, Paul's been uh, addressing <coughs> the matter of God's, um, God's plan for the redemption of man and how God carried out that plan throughout uh, all of, uh, of human history. 
And um, as, he, as he gets to where he's about to wrap up that discussion in talking about all that God had done to bring about the salvation of souls, both Jew and Gentile, he, he basically he bursts forth in these words of praise regarding the wisdom of God. Verse 33 of Romans 11, beginning, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him, and it shall be repaid to Him? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So Paul extols the, the, the depth of God's wisdom and knowledge. His, his judgments are unsearchable. No one has been God's counselor. Again, indicating that God doesn't need a counselor because God knows all. So His understanding knows no bounds. <coughs> there is no problem too difficult for God to solve. There is no question too difficult for God to answer. He is infinite in His knowledge. Now, let's apply that principle then specifically to the, the subject of our families. When it comes to the family unit, when it comes to the relationships that exist in that little world, husband-wife, parent-child, God knows what's best for that unit. God knows what works. God knows what doesn't. God knows where the dangers are. And God knows where the safe ground is. He created us individually. He created the family. And so God knows everything about that. He knows what works. And so, where God has spoken with regard to family dynamics and, and how to build families, where God has spoken, there is no reason in the world for us not to trust what He said. Because He knows. And so, when we come to something in Scripture, where God has spoken, and God says with regard to the family, well, this should be this way. Or I created this this way. And this is how this relationship should work. You know, we may listen to a lot of voices. A lot of voices in our culture that may say some of these things are outdated, they're outmoded, uh, you know, they, they don't work, they shouldn't work, they're morally wrong, you'll even hear that. We need to shut out those voices and, and trust God. Because God's the one who knows. <clears throat> Anybody today that thinks they can counsel God and, um, and, and essentially look at God's Word and say, well, I know it says that, but this is going to work better this way. I don't want to be that person and stand before God on that final day and have Him ask me questions like He asked Job when Job questioned God and His work. God knows, all right? Now, let's add to that principle that God's not only infinite in His knowledge and His understanding, but God is also infinite in His love for us. 
God not only knows what is best for our families, God wants what's best for our families. God wants our families to succeed. He wants our families to be properly functioning. He wants our families and our homes, our houses, to be places of joy and happiness and peace and contentment. That's also a part of God's nature. Casting all your care upon Him, for He, what? He cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. That's a part of who God is. If God were all-knowing, but was not all-loving, then we might be in a position where we would question what God has said. Well, maybe God knows what's best, but maybe God doesn't really love us all that much, so maybe He hasn't really told us what's best for our families. Maybe He's misleading us. You know, that was Eve's problem. That's where Satan attacked uh, Eve in Genesis 3. Yeah, God didn't really mean what He said. Yeah, God's not looking out for you. God's trying to keep something from you that uh, you would enjoy. So Eve started to doubt God's character, started to doubt God's love and compassion. But God is all-loving. 1 Peter 3 verse 10 begins with these words. He that would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak, no deceit. Now, turn away from evil, do good, all that. So he lists a number of things. I want you to focus on the first part of that. He that would love life and see good days. Does God want you to love life? Well, evidently so. Does He want you to see and experience good days? Sure He does. That's why He's given that instruction. Here's how you do that. So God wants us to see good days. He wants us to love life. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 24, God said concerning His own laws that He was giving to the people that they were for the good of the people. Deuteronomy 6, 24. Moses speaking on God's behalf. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That's why God has given us instruction. That's why God's given us guidelines. That's why God's given us parameters. Those guidelines and those parameters are expressions of His love and His desire to see good things be a part of our existence. Parents, why do you give your kids boundaries? Why, why, do you, why do you say, all right, you can do this, but not that? You can do that, but not this. You can go this far and no farther. Why, why do we give kids boundaries? Isn't it because we love them? And we want them to learn through, the, through that process, that disciplinary process? We want them to learn the difference between good and bad? We want them to learn the principle of authority? and respect 
Well, God's the same way. God has given us those boundaries as expressions of His love for us. His commandments are for our good. Deuteronomy 6.24. Alright? So, God wants your family to succeed. He wants your family to be happy. He wants your family to be stable. He wants your marriage to be a small taste, if you will, of heaven on earth. He wants your relationship with your spouse, with your children, to be healthy. He desires your good. He desires what's good for you, and His knowledge is infinite. He knows what's good for you and for me and for our families. All right? <coughs> now, when you get that foundation in place, and really, if we don't believe those two principles, and everything else that we're going to study for the next three months, it's not going to help you or me either one. If we don't believe that God knows what's best for our families, and God wants what's best for our families, then we're going to waste our time. Because we'll look at all of these things that God has said about families and we'll go, eh. Yeah, so what? But if we truly believe and trust God, then we'll look at those things and we'll look at them with the idea being, all right, am I doing this? Is this the way my family looks? And if not, what can I do about myself to be more like this? To, to, to help my family be what God wants it to be? If we go into our study knowing that God wants and knows what's best for us, then we'll, we'll study these things with a view toward using them, applying them. Helping ourselves to become more like what God's described. So we've got to have that foundation in place. And if, you don't, if you don't believe those two things, find out why. Dig down deep into your own mind and your own heart and figure out why you doubt either God's infinite knowledge or His infinite love. Alright, how about Proverbs 3? Proverbs 3, beginning verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Notice the, um, the superlatives. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledging Him basically means the idea of give way. Give way to God. In all your ways, give way to God. Let God be the one that directs your paths. <clears throat> he says it will be health to your flesh, 
strength to your bones. So we've got to trust. And the real test of trust is when we're asked to do something that we may not on the surface understand or that we struggle for whatever reason to agree with. It's really not, you know, trust is not really that deep if I only do those things that I agree with because I agree with them, because I also think they're good ideas. But what if God comes along and says, all right, I want you to do this, and you go, mm, really? I don't know if I agree with that. Well, now I have to really trust. I may not understand that, may struggle to agree with it just based on whatever has molded my thinking to that point, but then it becomes, all right, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do it His way because it's His way and because I trust Him, because I think, because I know He's got my best interest at heart, because I know He would not steer me in a wrong direction. And so I trust Him and I'm going to do it His way because it's His way. So trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Give Him the, the, the leeway. Let Him lead. He'll direct your path. All right. <coughs> now, got a few minutes remaining. Let's consider areas in which God has spoken. All right, so we've got our foundation in place. God's trustworthy. He's infinite in knowledge. He's trustworthy because He's infinite in love. So with whatever God has spoken, whatever He said, we should trust it and apply it because of those reasons, because of who God is. All right, God has spoken in the following areas. We'll cover some of these in detail in coming weeks. Some of them we might just touch on uh, briefly. But God has spoken regarding the proper candidates for marriage. God has spoken in that regard. Man and woman, that's what God has said. Go all the way back to the first, Genesis chapter 2. God had an opportunity because in Genesis 2, God was creating the family unit. He was creating the marital union. God had an opportunity to once and for all put his stamp of approval on same-sex marriage. But when God established the home, after He created man, He then created woman and brought her to the man and joined them together. If God wanted it to be some other way, two men, two women, He could have done that. He had it within His power, had it within His ability. But here is positive affirmation of, here's how God designed the home. And we learn that that wasn't just an arrangement intended for Adam and Eve alone. 
In other words, you know, someone might be tempted to argue, well, all right, yeah, God did that with Adam and Eve. So that's fine. But that doesn't mean that that has any bearing on any relationships past that. Well, not according to the text. Genesis 2, verse 24, after God created woman, brought her to Adam and all that, joined them together. Moses writing, therefore, all right, remember what therefore means? Whenever you see therefore in the text, look back previously to see what the therefore is there for. All right? So he's drawing a conclusion based on what has just happened. What has just happened was the joining of Adam and Eve together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. In other words, based on what God did here, that governs what people are supposed to do hereafter. Based on this, therefore, here's what ought to happen. Man is to be joined to wife. Male to female. And they shall become one flesh. Alright, so God's spoken on that. God's also, we'll talk about that in, in more detail. God has spoken regarding the roles of husbands and wives in the home. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 <coughs> excuse me, through the end of the chapter. And um, we'll have uh, a lesson specifically to husbands and a lesson specifically to wives based on what God has said about the relationship between the two in the home. That the husband is... The head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, uh, that wives are to love and support their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church. We'll talk about all the implications of all that, what those roles mean, what they don't mean. And a lot of the, the problems that exist in our culture with people attacking that arrangement is based on a misunderstanding of what that arrangement implies. And so, you know, they build up a straw man and then tear the straw man down when the straw man doesn't resemble what God has said in the text about what those roles mean and what they don't mean. We'll talk about that. How about the role of children in the home? God's spoken about that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, verse 2. Uh, God has spoken regarding the importance of Intimacy in marriage, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to 5. And the, the importance of that, um, that aspect of marital relationships and how that, you know, it's not to be used as some kind of bargaining tool or, uh, or anything like that, uh, that we, as, you know, husbands and wives, give themselves physically to each other. God has spoken regarding the consequences of adultery. <coughs> our culture just our culture doesn't think a whole lot about that anymore, it seems. About there being a negative um, stigma attached to that sin. God's been very clear about that, though. Let marriage be held in honor among all. 
And the bed, the marriage bed, undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews 13, 4. God has spoken regarding the permanence of marriage. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Jesus said there, stop putting asunder what God has joined together. And that's really the import of the Greek text there. He's, <clears throat> he's telling them to stop an action already in progress. Stop putting asunder what God has joined together. He's spoken, God has, regarding acceptable and unacceptable divorce. Also Matthew 19. We'll talk about that text. We'll study it. Whosoever puts away his wife, except for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. That's really not a hard statement to understand. It's just not. Volumes have been written uh, to try to undermine and uh, do away with what God said, what Jesus said in that passage. It's not difficult to understand. God has spoken regarding the proper conduct of married couples. We'll talk about, we'll, we'll say a lot about our relationships with each other within the home, husband-wife relationships. Uh, God has spoken with regard to uh, love. <coughs> Excuse me, what real love is, what it looks like. We'll spend some time in 1 Corinthians 13 about love suffering long, love is kind. You know, all those uh, descriptive terms that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13, we'll spend some time with that, making application to our relationships with each other as husbands and wives. God has spoken regarding living with um, understanding toward each other, specifically spoken to husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that we husbands are to live with our wives according to knowledge or in an understanding way. I think it's interesting that God singled out husbands with that particular uh, statement because it seems that a lot of times husbands don't put forth the effort, maybe. I can't paint with too broad a brush. But sometimes we husbands need to go the extra mile to understand our wives better and to listen to them with a view toward understanding them. We'll talk about that. Uh, God has spoken with regard to the importance of not, um, well, just state it bluntly, not nagging. Proverbs 27, verses 15 and 16. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Several passages in the Proverbs that talk about that principle of... Um, and those are specifically addressed to, to, to wives, to ladies, not being contentious. Better to dwell in the corner of the rooftop than in a house with a contentious woman. Well, God's spoken about that. How about uh, having calm tempers? Now I started meddling, right? 
Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. We need to be able as husbands and wives to talk to each other without yelling at each other. I don't know of any problem that has ever truly been solved in a marriage when the solution was hollered at someone. So we'll talk about tempers. We'll talk about how we need to be calm in our dealings with each other and talking to each other. Uh, we'll talk about um, making provision for our families. God says, you know, the, the one who doesn't provide for his own, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, he that does not provide for his own family has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Think about that. Paul was dealing with a situation evidently where some were not doing that. And he said, look, if somebody refuses to, to properly provide for his own kin, his own family, that person is worse, worse than an unbeliever. He has completely denied the faith, New Testament Christianity. That's pretty strong language, but God said it. So we'll talk about that, the importance of providing for our families. And I'll offer this just for your own thinking. If an individual doesn't, who doesn't provide for the physical necessities of his family, which is what Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy 5, the man who doesn't provide for the physical needs of his family, has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. What must God think about the man who doesn't provide for the spiritual needs of his family? We'll talk about um, Matthew 7, verse 12. The golden rule. You know, really, a lot of the particulars of how we interact with each other, communicate with each other, how we handle problems, things like that. A lot of those issues could be dealt with and handled and fixed with just a simple application of the golden rule. Treat the other person the way you want to be treated. You like to be yelled at? Who does? All right, well then don't yell, don't yell at your wife. Or don't yell at your husband. You like to be belittled? You like to have your old past sins and transgressions brought back up into your face? Though you've dealt with them long ago and put them behind you, do you still do you like them to be dragged back up? If you don't like that, then don't do it to the other person. Just a simple application of the golden rule would head off a lot of problems that arise in our homes. We'll talk about parenting responsibilities. I think I mentioned that at the beginning of class. Training our children in the ways of God. Bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6. So God has said a lot <coughs> about human conduct generally, marital relationships, family dynamics. God has said so much about all of that. 
that really we're without excuse if our families are not what God desires them to be. So, with all of that said, let's determine that we will accept the responsibilities that God's placed on us, that we will meet the challenges, that we'll trust God, that we'll do our best to submit ourselves to Him. And if we'll do that, we can develop great families. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for creating the family unit. We thank You for the joy and happiness that is ours because of our family members and because of those relationships that we have. And we're thankful, Father, that You have spoken and that You've given us direction and guidance and parameters and that those expressions of Your love are available for us and understandable for us. And we pray, Father, that You would bless each family that's a part of this congregation. That You would bless us as we do the best that we can to mold ourselves more and more into the image of Your Son so that we can mold our families into what You would have them to be. May we trust You with everything that we have, with all of our hearts, and allow You to guide our steps in all things. We're thankful for Jesus, for His grace, for the forgiveness of our sins that's so needed and so available because of Him and through Him. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.